Welcome to Earth Matters, environmental justice stories from Australia and around the world, usually produced in the studios of 3CR on Wurundjeri country in Melbourne, but today it's produced from self-isolation on neighbouring Boon country, also in the Kulin Nations. We're broadcast across these stolen lands via the Community Radio Network. I'd like to pay my respects to Elders past, present and emerging from across these lands and acknowledge the continuing struggle for sovereignty and self-determination. I'm Megan Williams. It was just awful to behold. The, you know, it, the weather was so crazy. The water was just heating up and heating up over a really long period of time. It's one of the most biologically diverse ecosystems on the planet. But in the midst of a global health pandemic, you might have missed the news that the Great Barrier Reef had a mass coral bleaching event in March, the third in the last five years. Today on the show, I will be speaking with Tanya Murphy, the founder of Divers for Reef Conservation, about what it's like diving on a bleached reef, how tourism can help in its recovery, and what needs to change if we're serious about preserving the reef for future generations. But first, we'll be hearing from Dr Anne Hoggett, the director of the Lizard Island Research Centre, based up north in the more pristine northern third of the Great Barrier Reef. Anne will be talking us through exactly what coral bleaching is, how it happens, and the long-term outlook for the Great Barrier Reef. I started by asking her what it is that gives corals their gorgeous colour in the first place. I'm interested in what causes coral bleaching, but to start us off, could you tell us what it is that gives corals their colour in the first place? Yes, uh, sure. So corals are animals and they're little basically transparent animals that build a calcium carbonate skeleton, which is white in colour. And so the animal, the coral animal overlies this white skeleton and it builds animal colours. It makes uh, molecules itself which have pigmentation and they're the pretty colours. They're the pinks and the blues and the greens. But also within the transparent body of the coral polyp are tiny um, cells that are called zooxanthellae. Um, they're, they're sort of algae, they're not really algae, but they're microscopic and they're basically brown and they photosynthesize. And it's a really important relationship between the coral and the zooxanthellae because the coral gives the zooxanthellae protection within its body and the zooxanthellae uses photosynthesis to produce food, which is utilized by the coral. And if the coral didn't have that source of nutrition, then um, the, it wouldn't have enough energy to build the coral reefs that they do. So it's really important. And so the colors that we see on corals are a mixture of the animal molecules that have been built by the coral itself, overlain by this brown, fuzzy color uh, caused by the zooxanthellae inside the coral animal. So can you tell us what's happening in that relationship that causes the corals to bleach and lose their colour? Well, um, the relationship between the zooxanthellae and the coral is a really complicated chemical relationship and anything that causes the relationship to get out of whack can be a problem. And that can be any environmental stress. Corals really live quite close to their um, tolerances in many um, 
parameters of you know environmental things and temperature is one of them light is another salinity is another uh, exposure to air is another and so bleaching is actually a mechanism that has evolved to protect the coral from rare events when the environmental conditions are out of whack so this is a natural process. Can you give us an example of how corals use bleaching to protect themselves? Say the coral um, gets exposed to the air on low tides for a few, you know, a few hours on a, over a couple of days in a monthly cycle when there's really, really low tides during the day. Well, in that case, the coral is stressed, the um, con- chemical conditions inside the coral animal are bad, the zooxanthellae starts to produce too much oxygen and that is damaging to the coral animal. The coral animal can detect that and they actually spit them out. And that's a good thing because when the conditions go back to normal, for example, when the the tide comes up and the low tide period has gone away, then the coral can um, actually get the zooxanthellae back into itself either by bringing them in from the seawater itself or more likely in that short-term situation just by the zooxanthellae breeding up themselves within the coral animal. So in the short term, it's a really good thing. It stops the coral from getting sick. And how does that differ to the mass bleaching events that we're seeing now? What's happening now with elevated warming is that we're getting too high a temperature in the water and it's happening on a large scale and it's lasting for a really long time. And so in 2016, we had the most massive and destructive coral bleaching episode here that anybody had ever seen. And the corals started to bleach. They kicked out their zooxanthellae. And then it's a a process, you know, they start to kick them out, they start to go a bit pale, Um, then they start to look really pretty because you can see the pinks and the blues without the scars of zooxanthellae overlying them. So they actually look very pastel and fluorescent and quite gorgeous, but really it's a coral that's not in good health. And then after that um, phase, they can no longer have the energy to make those, um, those pigment molecules that they make and so then they go completely white they're bone white and they're they're not dead they're still alive because there's still coral animal overlying that white skeleton but they can't last like that for very long because they're lacking their nutrition if if that goes on for too long then the corals will die and is that what we've seen this year as well have the corals died or is there still a chance they can come back after this bleaching It's very hard for me to say. I'm only based in the northern part of the Great Barrier Reef. Um, The corals did start to bleach up here in the northern part of the reef. And in fact, it looked like it was going to be a rerun of 2016. It was really looking very bad. But in the middle of March, Cyclone Gretel formed out in the Coral Sea. And although the cyclone didn't come close to us here, the weather pattern that that caused uh, caused the wind to swing to the southeast. We got some cloud and some rain, and that was enough to turn the tables. And so although we have corals starting to bleach, and there's still bleached corals there now, um, I think that that reprieve came early enough that uh, the corals are not going to die in big numbers in this area. We have observed some individual corals dying, but a tiny proportion. And I fondly believe that the remainder of the corals will um, recover. And it's great to hear that the corals up north got that reprieve. Do we know if this bleaching event was more widespread than what we've seen in previous years? Well, um, there were aerial surveys done by the um, ARC Centre of Excellence 
the coral reef studies based in Townsville and they flew over the whole of the barrier reef and they said that it was happening in all the three sections of the Great Barrier Reef um, and that was done before or at around the same time that the, um, the weather pattern was changing up here in the north. So they were able to observe bleaching in the north um, but, uh, you know, as I say, sub subsequent events may show that it's not going to be such a bad event up here overall. Down the southern end of the reef, um, I don't know. You know, it's, it's too early to say. I haven't seen it. Uh, I don't think they got the reprieve um, in, uh, you know, at the time that we got it. So I, I really can't say what's going to happen down south. I should say, too, in 2016, um, the northern part of the reef was the part that copped it the worst. But the southern and the middle sections of the reef, they were saved by the same sort of thing that looks like it's going to save the northern part this time. That was a cyclone came in from um, the Pacific and cooled down the waters uh, in the central and southern sections in 2016. And that is probably the only reason they didn't bleach big time in that year. And what's the effect of successive bleaching events? You know, we've had one in 2016 and 2017 and now this year. Does having it year on year have a compounding impact? Of course it does, yes. And it's not just coral bleaching, it's also um, cyclone impacts. Lizard Island has had four successive summers with massive impacts on the corals. Started in 2014 with um, a Category 4 cyclone. Then 11 months later, there was another Category 4 cyclone. Then 11 months after that we had the 2016 bleaching starting and then in 2017 we had yet another bleaching episode up here. So cyclones too, you know, the, um, the intensity of cyclones is predicted to get worse with um, global warming and that's exactly what we're seeing here. I've lived at Lizard Island for 30 years and I'd never seen anything more than a Category 2 cyclone in the times that we've been here. And then all of a sudden we get two Category 4 cyclones 11 months apart. This is exactly what's predicted from as the world warms up. We're going to get, um, the, the storms that we get are going to be more intense and more intense storms cause more damage to corals. So corals form the basis of the ecosystem. What happens to the fish and the sponges, the crustaceans and everything that depends on the corals for their habitat? Well, there has been a lot of research uh, done on that and um, it's, you know, there can be winners and losers. Um, a lot of the, after we had the, the cyclones and the bleaching here, many of the little fish, the little reef fish that depend upon corals for habitat, they just disappeared. Now, nobody can say exactly what's happened to them but it's more than likely that they just died because where else do they go I mean this is a, a you know an impact that covers many hundreds of square kilometers you know they, they, these little fish can't swim between reefs to go and find somewhere else it's more conducive to them so I think they must have just died um, and you know some of them you know not all of them but the numbers were way way down whereas other fish like the herbivorous fishes and the predators so parrotfish did really well because there was lots of algae <laughs> for them to eat. Um, and the predators were really looking very fat and happy, I think, because they had so many little fish that were not able to hide from them. So as you mentioned, you've seen some pretty severe and damaging events over the last few years. What, what does the recovery process look like for the reef? Since the last 
bad episode which had, which was 2017, early 2017. We've now had three years where the corals have had a chance to recover. We've had no major disasters in those times, apart from the threat of major coral bleaching this year, which, as I said, doesn't look like it's going to develop. It is truly staggering how quickly the corals can recover from massive, massive degradation like we saw between 2014 and 2017. Um, you know, the corals are small, but there's lots of them. The diversity is high, um, and it's just so, it's such a happy thing to see them. Uh, it's not everywhere. Some places have fared better than others, but, um, you know, if we can have a few more years without any major disasters, it's, you know, it's really going to look pretty good again. The only reason I think that the reefs in this area have been able to recover uh, to the extent that they have in such a short period of time is because our ecosystem is generally in pretty good condition. It's, it's intact. We've got our herbivorous fishes there who come in and eat any algae that want to come in and settle. Um, we've got you know, really low levels of nutrients, particularly up here on the northern end of the Great Barrier Reef. Um, you know, all those things are good. Um, and that's, that's what's helped the, the reef to recover. I, I think that our experience here with the reef recovering incredibly well with absolutely no intervention at all is the, um, you know, it's a really good, um, how should I say it? It's, it's a reason for allowing the natural environment to look after itself. And to do that, we need to stop polluting it and let it get on with, with its own business. Um, having said that, if we all stopped polluting with carbon dioxide tomorrow, we're still locked in to decades of, um, of global warming. Really, if, we're, if, we don't, if we don't solve the climate change problem, <laughs> it's, it's just not going to work. Hmm. And unfortunately, on that note, that brings us just about out of time. For people that want to learn more about the research that's happening at Lizard Island and support your work, where can they go? We have a wonderful foundation that uh, helps our work enormously. In fact, we wouldn't be here if it wasn't for them. That's the Lizard Island Reef Research Foundation. Uh, you can Google them. They've got lots of stories on there about the work that goes on here, and they've got a big Donate Now button, and we'd really appreciate your support. Dr Anne Hoggett, Director of the Lizard Island Research Centre. 250 kilometres north of Cairns on the Great Barrier Reef. You're listening to Earth Matters on the Community Radio Network. Today we're talking about coral bleaching, the damage it's doing to the Great Barrier Reef and what can be done to improve the health and the future for all life on the reef. Next up, we have Tanya Murphy, a dive instructor based in Cairns and the founder for Divers for Reef Conservation. So Tanya, for people who've never been diving, have never experienced the underwater world before, can you paint us a picture of just what it's like down there? Yeah, <laughs> it's, it's, really, it's really hard to describe without coming and experiencing it for yourself, but... It's just as soon as I took my first breath underwater, I saw millions of colourful fish swimming all around me and really, really bright colours everywhere. And it's like a huge maze of um, corals and 
yeah, it was just really magical. Now, there's been bleaching events in 2016 and 2017, as well as this year. Can you tell us how diving on bleached reef compares with diving on pristine reef? Yeah, I've dived in a lot of different locations all over the Great Barrier Reef, including some which are badly bleached and others which are in pristine condition. And... Yeah, there is a vast difference out there between some areas to other areas because the reef's really huge. It's more than 2,400 kilometres long, about the same size as some countries like Japan. So different areas obviously affected differently. And um, I went out, obviously I've been in corona isolation, but I did go out um, on, a, on a trip to the reef a couple of weeks ago. And although we've had... Another mass bleaching currently happening this year, I went to a reef which was not affected and it was really beautiful and gorgeous and there was no bleaching at all. Um, but I've also been to other reefs in other areas which uh, were really devastated by the bleaching. So we've got a glass half full situation at the moment. Um, the, the really good news is that um, we've got really beautiful reef out there still and the tourism industry is is taking people to those beautiful reefs and everyone that I've taken diving and snorkeling over the past couple of years has been absolutely blown away and said it was the most beautiful thing they've ever seen in their life. So um, those areas are our glass half full situation, but if we don't address climate change soon or quickly, then that glass is going to continue rapidly getting emptier. And we will get to climate change in a moment, but first, this bleaching event has been said to have affected all three sections of the Great Barrier Reef. How severely has it affected the areas around where you are in Cairns? Yeah, so around where we are in Cairns was thankfully not hit too hard. It is the most widespread bleaching ever, but... That means there was some in the far north, some in the centre and some in the far south, which has never happened across such a wide area before. But in between that, they still had some areas very healthy, which includes the areas close to Cairns, which is a real relief because that means that we can continue to educate tourists to come out and experience this natural wonder. If people think that the reef is dead and then everyone will just stop caring and no one will bother doing anything to help it anymore. And if if people stop coming to see it and learn about it, then the, the care and um, the inspiration to fight for the reef is just going to be completely gone. So it's really important that the tourists continue coming to see this amazing reef. Not only will you have an absolutely life-changing experience, but also every tourist, a proportion of what they pay to visit the marine park goes towards protecting it and researching it. So the millions of dollars every year are generated from tourists go towards protecting the reef. So what needs to happen to see the reef protected into the future? So the biggest threat to the Great Barrier Reef is climate change, which is evidenced by the fact that the ocean temperatures have been significantly hotter um, this year and in recent years than they were in the past. That's why we've had three mass coral bleachings in the last five years, whereas they never happened that frequently before. 
So ocean temperatures are getting hotter. That creates a lot of stress for the corals, especially in summer when it's even hotter. And that's what causes corals to bleach, which means they're sick. And of the bleached corals, some of the sick corals will die and some will recover. But they take years to grow corals. The ones which get killed by bleaching can take years and years to grow back to their former size and healthy state. Now that we've heated up the ocean to the point where we're having bleachings so frequently, addressing climate change is is the biggest way that people can help the Great Barrier Reef. So what we need is for governments to stop allowing fossil fuel projects to go ahead and to phase those out and switch to renewable energy. So the biggest difference people can make is actually with their vote and with the way that they get involved in climate action. And there's obviously a very big fossil fuel project being developed just adjacent to the Great Barrier Reef. Can you tell us your thoughts on the Adani coal mine? The Adani coal mine is going to rapidly accelerate climate change by digging up megatons of coal. And whether they're burned here or overseas, it's still going to heat up the atmosphere and contribute to heating up the oceans, which is killing the Great Barrier Reef. So Australia is in the top three exporters of coal in the world, which means we're some of the worst drug dealers of the world's unhealthy coal-burning addiction. So um, Australia is is, um, very much to blame for climate change, just as much as any other country. Our uh, emissions per head of population are just as bad or worse than lots of other countries and our exporting and profiting off of selling these toxic um, fossil fuels is also really, really bad. So Australia, um, we have a lot of work to do here at home for myself and all the other divers who work at the Great Barrier Reef. Our message to the Australian people and to the government is we need coral, not coal, and um, we need to stop Adani, even though... We care about the Great Barrier Reef mainly because it's an ecological treasure that's priceless and irreplaceable for all of its marine life. But also it's an economic treasure for Australia. It employs more than 64,000 people, just like me, who work in ecotourism and other things along the reef coast. And it brings in more than $6 billion to our economy every year. So it employs a lot more people than coal mining in Queensland, uh, a lot more people than what the Adani coal mine will employ. And so it makes smart economic sense for the government to do what's right for the Great Barrier Reef and for the, for the, the economy and the workers who depend on the Great Barrier Reef. And so tourism operators, along with so many others, are doing it tough right now with the Queensland borders closed. What can people do to support those of you who live and work on the reef? The best thing that anyone from all over the world could do to help the Great Barrier Reef is to come and see her and and learn about her firsthand. So I think a lot of people are probably getting a bit antsy being stuck in isolation and they're going to be stepping the net looking at their next holiday, what they're going to do as soon as travel bans are lifted and what people can do to support the, the reef tourism which protects the Great Barrier Reef is to come see the Great Barrier Reef because a proportion of the funds from every tourist that visits 
goes towards protecting and scientific research of the Great Barrier Reef, and that contributes millions of dollars every year to help protect the reef. Um, the tourism industry um, employs um, a lot of marine biologists and other um, trained reef surveyors, including myself. So while we're out there taking tourist diving, we are also out there doing research. Um, we help a lot of the tourism companies help with coral transplanting, which means planting corals back onto the reef to help it regenerate. Um, uh, tourism divers like myself also help to um, eradicate invasive pests, which harm the Great Barrier Reef. Um, so among the, the research, the transplanting, um, the pest eradication, all of those things are done only because um, the tourism industry is out there doing those things in amongst the, the tours that they do. Um, so by coming to visit the reef, people will be not only helping um, an ecologically friendly industry to get back on its feet, but they'll be helping the reef and you'll be helping yourself to have the most amazing experience and the most fun experience of your life. And you're involved with the Divers for Reef Conservation. Where can people go to find out about the campaigns you're working on and take action? We'd really appreciate um, any support from people at Divers for Reef Conservation. Just go to www.diversforreefconservation.com and there's um, a lot of information on there about the reef. We're also a partner organisation with the Australian Marine Conservation Society, um, so just look them up. They're called the AMCS for short. And also, because people might be listening from all over Australia or the world, even if you at this point in time don't have the ability to come visit the Great Barrier Reef, the best thing you can do without going anywhere is to get involved in climate action in your area. And there's, there are climate action groups everywhere in the world. Um, so make sure you look up for your hometown, home city and climate action groups or Stoppadani groups if you're in Australia, Wh whether you're suffering from a drought because you're a farmer or whether you're losing your coral because you're a diver those things are linked by the fact that they're all caused by climate change so whatever you can do to get involved in climate action is the best thing you can do to help us at the great barrier reef tanya murphy from divers for reef conservation you've been listening to earth matters community radio's national environmental justice program I'm Megan Williams. If you missed any of today's show, you can listen back at 3cr.org.au slash earthmatters or find our podcast on any podcasting service. If you are listening via a podcast, why not rate, review and subscribe to Earth Matters? We love your feedback and it helps us spread the word. Earth Matters would like to thank the Community Broadcasting Foundation for their financial support and the Community Radio Network for getting the program out to you. Earth Matters is produced in the studios of 3CR on Wurundjeri Country. If you'd like to get in contact, you can send us an email, earthmatters3cr at gmail.com, or go to our Facebook page. See you next time for more Earth Matters.
Thank you.